you'll take your Bibles and turn with me, we're going to be looking at two passages this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, as well as the Matthew passage that we've already read this morning. And the reason why we're doing this is, again, we're looking at the Advent season and we're looking how light pierces the darkness. Light comes out of the darkness and the darkness is not overcome. And so we are looking at specific themes through. And so we saw that it was the light was promised. And now today we're going to find that the light was pondered. And so if you look up the word pondering, it means to think about deeply, to reflect, to weigh in the mind. And it's the thing that Mary and Joseph do. It's like uh, there's two ways to look at things a little bit more in detail. There's the microscope where we take tiny things and we try to make them big so that we can see them. But there's also the telescope. And the telescope takes things that are quite big at a great distance and they try to make them small. Well, that's kind of where Mary and Joseph are. They're using a telescope for us. They're trying to take the greatness and the, big, the bigness of God and try to make it something that we begin to grasp and understand and even comprehend. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we struggle with a big God. Because if you serve a big God, sometimes we think that he's going to be too demanding on us. He's going to ask of too much. But the reality is that what Mary and Joseph are doing is they're trying to make God bigger to us so that we might increase our joy and understanding of who he is. To ponder, to be in awe and wonder of who our God is. So let us look to Luke chapter 1. And we're looking at Mary's song of praise, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the the thoughts of their hearts. And he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. For he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word, Lord. We ask that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Lord, again, we recognize this is a common story. And yet, Lord, we ask that we would see God bigger, that we would increase joy in our awe and wonder of who you are and what you've done for us. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin to unpack these two passages, the first thing I want to do is I want to understand how it brings about this betrothal. What does it mean for Mary and Joseph to be betrothed? Well, the first thing is uh, it's in regards to marriage. And so the first thing that happens is there is a pledge that goes on. It's actually split up in the, in the Old Testament in the time of Jesus, where the first thing that happens is there's a pledge. And so what happens is this becomes a family affair. There's a, a dowry price to be paid. Because again, if what I want you to understand is that at this point in time, uh, women have no value in and of themselves. They are, in essence, a piece of property. 
And so it was established a dowry price to where you would actually go and replace the price of what the woman did in the family household. And so things were set and things were established and pledged. And again, I've told you we have some weirdness in our family because my wife was born in Ethiopia. And so when I went to go ask her father for her hand in marriage, um, one of the things he said, well, she comes from Africa and there's a tradition there to provide a dowry. And you're supposed to give something of great value that I had to uh, give to her. And so we settled on a couple of hamburgers and um, a little Winnie the Pooh teddy bear. And we made it a part of our marriage ceremony. But there is a, a reality where it is a very specific family-oriented thing. There were things, contracts that were cut between family members that went all the way up to the, to the parents. And so this was established. So the pledge was something that was given. But this pledge was given, and then it went to a second step where we kind of find ourselves, where there was a contract. And this contract was given before a whole bunch of witnesses. And at that moment, they became husband and wife. And this is where we find Mary and Joseph at this point in their relationship. They've been pledged to each other, but now they have found themselves in contract. They are betrothed. So they are, in essence, husband and wife. And what they're waiting for at this moment is their wedding day, the actual ceremony. And this is where, again, if you think about it, this establishes uh, the example of Jesus and his church. Remember where Jesus says, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's kingdom. That was the reality of what men did. They would go home to their father's place and they would establish a portion of their father's house and make it ready. And then it was the father who told the son, now go and get your bride. And then remember the the parable of the ten virgins? They're supposed to be ready at any moment. They're supposed to have their lights uh, ready and their lamps to be uh, waiting for the ceremony to come and to to usher it back into the father's place. And five um, weren't prepared and five were. And so we're in a betrothal period with Jesus. Jesus at some point is going to come back and said, it's time to go home. The question for us is, are we ready? So we're in this betrothal in the contract period and we're awaiting the, the wedding. And so again, what I want you to understand is in the midst of this betrothal, what God does for Jesus is he brings him to a family. Because again, it's easy to look at this and kind of go, hey, what God did is he brought her to a single mother. Well, that's not true. Because they were already considered husband and wife, they were already a family. And so God establishes the importance of having a godly family. Jesus was born into a godly family. And as such, there was something unique. And we do have to understand that, that what happened to, you, uh, to Mary was unique. It's never going to happen again. Jesus isn't going to come back as an infant child again. He's going to come back as the conquering king. So there is something unique about what happens to to Mary when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. But I also want you to understand that, again, as I told you, women don't have any value at this time. And yet God has chosen the woman to give the humanity aspect of Jesus. It's women that are there for Jesus during all the hard times. And so God is doing something very unique here. And so he takes his human nature from Mary's substance. So there's this betrothal period. God brings Jesus into a family. But the reality is, from our perspective and from their perspective at the moment, there's troubling times. Why? Because of the timing. 
So they're in their contract period, but they were not supposed to have sexual relationships. So what's happening is that you've already had, uh, Mary's been gone for three months. She's been up with her, uh, her aunt. And now all of a sudden she's back. And it says in the scripture that, that we read in Matthew, it says she was found to be with child. So we don't know. We can't read between the lines. We don't, had she talked to Joseph about this? Did she give the details to Joseph? We don't know. But Joseph finds himself in a position of timing during this betrothal period where Mary, his wife, is with child and he's not the daddy. So think about this realistically. Again, I know this is a a story that's very common to us, but think about that in reality. Here he is. He's already married, waiting for his wedding day, and he gets told about or he sees his betrothed wife pregnant with child and starting to show. And he knows he's not the daddy. So there's a timing above this. But what happens is there starts to happen assumptions. So again, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Joseph begins to assume that Mary's had relationships with someone else. He's probably angry. He's probably hurt. I mean, all those things are going in there. And and again, one of the questions I have is, why didn't God come to Joseph at the same time that he came to Mary? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, wouldn't that have taken care of a lot of things? If God had come to Mary and Joseph together and said, hey, let me tell you what's going to happen, then this wouldn't have happened. I was reminded by a, a story from Clint Hurdle Jr., and he sends out these encouraging things, but it's the story of the butterfly and so this class of students found uh, this uh, cocoon, and they brought it in. They put it in their little aquarium thing, and they were watching it. And so it started to uh, come out, the butterfly. And uh, one of the students saw that it was struggling, so he thought he'd be very nice. And he went in, and he took a pair of scissors, and he cut open the cocoon. Because he wanted the butterfly to be free. So what happened to the butterfly? It never flew. It bounced around on the bottom of the aquarium for a few days and then it died. See, what needed to happen was it needed to fight by getting out of the cocoon to strengthen his wings so that he could fly. Sometimes God takes us through hard times because he wants to see us fly. So we go through struggles and we go through trials. And again, we have to make sure that we watch our assumptions. You never know, for the most part, the full story. Let me give you a real-life example. When I was on staff in Colorado, we had two girls that got pregnant at uh, pretty much the same time. And so, uh, one, we took through the the process of uh, establishing a a time of repentance for her. And um, she came through, and we gave her a baby shower, and we uh, welcomed the child, and we gave her a baby shower, and we gave the child a baby shower, and she put it up for adoption. And it was just a wonderful expression of God's grace and mercy and love. But at the same time, there's another family who said, we don't want anybody to know about this. Don't tell the church, don't do anything. But what was funny, at the end, they became angry. And I was like, why are you so angry? Because our daughter didn't get what this daughter did. And I said, because you asked that no one knows that your daughter was pregnant. So here you have all these people that they can't, they can't just assume because if they assume things, if they're going to say things to your daughter... It would have been hurtful to you. So be very careful about assumptions. But also understand that sometimes God speaks to others sooner than he does to you. 
So this is what's happening in regards to the assumptions. And so what happens is there has to be a decision. What do you do with this now? Your wife is found to be with child, and it's not yours. So what do you do? Well, the next thing I think the passages bring us to is it brings us to the character of who these people are. And so the first thing I said is know who you are, and I want you to know who you are at the core. Now, I want to be very careful here because, again, I have two different type of people in the midst of this congregation. One, I have those who come from a very legalistic background who, as soon as I make sure and say things like, know who you are at the core, you're already thinking, I'm a bad person. I'm terrible. Jesus can't love me and neither can anybody else. Okay? For you, hear the gospel. You need to live in the gospel. You need to marinate in the gospel. But then there's other people who are here who think Jesus was good and right in picking you. For those people, you need to live in the law. Meaning, you need to understand that there are responsibilities. There are things that we are called to do. And so what happens is in the midst of this character, we get to see at the core what's going on with Joseph and Mary. Now, one of the amazing things about Joseph is Joseph, there is not one recorded word of Joseph ever given in all of Scripture. Not one. So how do I know that we can understand the core of who um, Joseph is? We see it by his actions. And we know that he is righteous and he is kind. He's a man of the scripture. He knows the scripture. He knows what's required of him in regards to being a godly man. He knows what he's supposed to do with his wife. And so he's supposed to and could, if he wanted to, expose her publicly and actually have her stoned. He could have done that and he would have been well within his rights. But he's kind and he seeks to put her away quietly. To go to just a few people, offer a a divorce And then be done. Because he doesn't want to kill her. And so he brings about God's mercy, not God's wrath. So that's who Joseph is at the core. But there's also Mary. And Mary, it says, she was scripture-filled and she was humble. When she was called by God, she didn't say, hey, great, I've been waiting for this. She says, who am I? For I am a servant. And the, the word there is slave. I'm your slave. I'm worthless. So why would you come to me? And the question for us is, what about you? Who are you at your core? And maybe you're at a point in time where you're just like, I don't know. Then I would suggest ask your friends. You know what you're not going to be able to do? You're not going to hear what people say at your funeral. And you know what? Sometimes People have to make things up or they have to look really deep to say good things about people at funerals. But for others, there's nothing but accolades to be said. So who are you at your core? Would people rise up and say that you are righteous and kind, that you are scripture filled, that you are humble? Or would they say, gosh, he sure was an arrogant jerk, but he provided. Man, he was a good Good player on video games. Man, what are they going to say? So know who you are at the core. But sometimes if you stay there, that's not a good place. Because again, if we're honest, all of us can go through good days and bad days. So what happens is God allows us to see who we are in his eyes. This is what, he, this is what the angel says to Joseph in Matthew 1 verse 20. Joseph, 
son of David. Do you understand that? I mean, Joseph, he's a carpenter now. He's poor. He's living in a nowhere city, going nowhere fast. He, he could care less about the throne. He's not anywhere near it. And yet the angel of the Lord comes and he says, you know who you are in the sight of God the Almighty? You are a son of the king. Son of the king. You've forgotten who you are, Joseph. And when he comes to Mary, what does he say to Mary, the angel, in Luke 1, verse 28? You are favored of the Lord. Favored. And some of you this morning... Those who are saved, those who know Jesus Christ, you need to be reminded that you are a son and daughter of the king. There's a story, a true story that's told about the um, slaves that came out of Africa. And they would put the chains around their necks as they took them to the slave ships. And the slavers talked about how you knew those that were of royal blood in the tribes. Because no matter how many times they put the chains around their necks, they always held their heads high. Because they understood who they were and whose they were. If you are a Christian, you are a son or a daughter of the king. So we need to know who we are. But then we also need to know our calling. And the question is, how do we know God's will? Well, a lot of us, if we're honest, would say, man, I wish an angel would come to me and say, this is what you're going to do. I mean, aren't we envious of of Mary and Joseph a little bit? It was without a shadow of a doubt. This is whose son this is, and this is what you're going to do. We do have God's will given to us, though. You have in your hand, or on your phone, or on your tablet, on a CD player, whatever. You have the word of God in your hand. So you know it. And not only do you have that, but then you have spiritual wisdom that's given. You can go and talk to Christian people and ask their advice. But then the greatest gift that God has given to us is the Holy Spirit. We can ask and speak to God through God. And he allows us to glean the richness and the truth. And so we can understand what it is that God is calling to us. And as God calls to us, the question is, will we be available? A lot of people ask the question, why me? Why did God make me this size? And why does God allow me to be around lots of fights? And why do I marry a wife who always wants to put me in the middle of the fight? I don't know. Honey, those... Two kids look like they're going to go fight. Go stop it. I don't care if they beat each other up. (laughs) Honey, you need to go stop it. Okay. I'll put myself in harm's way. There's a friend um, who ended up, their first child was a special needs daughter. And he was telling the story and he said, everybody in the church is coming up to this. This shouldn't have happened to you. You guys are such a great uh, Christian couple. And I remember him saying, I began to respond to those people, why not me? God has given us and prepared us. We of all people are the ones prepared to take care of our special needs child. So instead of asking the question, why me to God? (laughs) Say, why not me, God? Allow me to be ready and to be faithful. And see, when we know that, it's because we grasp the bigger picture. See, we have to understand our story is in the midst of his story. 
See, it's not just about us. It's not. It's not about your job. It's not about your nest egg. It's not about whatever. It's about God's kingdom. It's about his church, his ministry, his focus. We have to ask the question, then how does my story fit into that? And I want you to understand that you're also very important. It's the reason, again, why I have rocks in my office. Because my mentor made a very explicit thing, something that I remember. And I remembered my whole, my whole career. God doesn't need you, Jeff. If he wanted to, he could take this rock and it could be a far better husband, a far better pastor, a far better friend, a far better teacher. Why? Because the rock obeys God perfectly. You're a jerk, Jeff. You tell God no all the time. So what's the encouragement? God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants to use you. He wants you to be a part of his story. He wants to take what he's given to you and use it for the betterment of the kingdom. And so as we look at his story, it's centered on the church. It's the the whole song of Mary, isn't it? He has shown strength with his arm. It's from generation to generation. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich, he sent away helpless, I mean empty. He's helped. He's remembered his mercy. He spoke to us. It's his plan. It's centered on the church. It's his thing. Listen, you never know the impact that you're going to have. You really don't. I have a, a friend right now who's, um, who's in the ends of his life. And, and he really wants to end it. And so he's, he's calling me. And he's, he, what he wants me to do is he wants me to give him just a, a rubber stamp of approval. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> And it, but I sit there and I try to say, do you understand how, I understand where you're coming from, but how this impacts other people in your life. There are people who love you and care for you. And so to lose you is a big deal. I asked my teenagers after I've been at uh, my first church for a number of years, what have you learned from me? I wanted some accolades. What'd you, what, what have you guys learned from me? How have I impacted you? I mean, I've had some pretty good teaching times. We've gone to some great retreats, some great individual uh, studies. Nope, no response to that. One of the kids said, he goes, this is what I learned from you. Every time we went on a, on a trip and we would go to a fast food restaurant, he said, you would bring in these 30 to 50 teenagers and just overwhelm the restaurant he said, and I remember there would be families and individuals that would come in and look at the line and just gasp. And he said, without a shadow of a doubt, you always let them go to the front of the line and you always bought their meal. And he says, that spoke to me more than anything you ever said to me. My first response was, that's stupid. <laughs> but that's the gospel. There's one tangible way. And people picked it up. And I was none the wiser. You never know who's looking and watching and listening at your life or your words or your actions. So be mindful and understand that your story is a part of his story. And the next thing he says, oops, I'm way ahead, is we have to be about obedience. See, there's a, there's a response 
And he says, do not be afraid. That's what the angel has to say to both Mary and to Joseph. Don't be afraid. Why? One, Mary was afraid of the angel. Joseph was afraid to take Mary home. See, he was concerned about his reputation. See, one of the things I want you to understand in regards to your call is that God knows you personally. That's an incredible thing. He knows you personally. So he knows what you can do, what you need, and at what time. That's why you never compare yourself to other people. Why, why does this person, why does he get to have a great job and a pool in his backyard and nothing ever happens to him bad or whatever? And this person's over here and they've got nothing but sickness and sorrow and pain. This person has divorce. This person has never seen divorce. This person, don't compare yourself to other people. God knows you personally. And he says, this is exactly what needs to happen at this time. And so he, he comes to Mary and she says, who am I, God? I'm a poor slave. And he said, will you do this, Mary? And Mary, in the midst, listen, who could have been stoned to death, is definitely ridiculed. And she's told, you're going to be a woman of sorrow. She's told this. And she obeys the calling. Joseph, in the midst of his circumstances, Again, understood the law of God and he was righteous. But he also understood that this affects his reputation. How can I marry a wife who everybody knows in the small little city that that child is not mine? So he's worried about his reputation. But yet both of them respond and they respond with active obedience. They respond with active obedience. See, Joseph took Mary He took Mary as his wife, just like the angel told him. And then listen, he showed restraint because he maintained her purity throughout the time. He took away his own personal desires for God's. How did Mary respond in act of obedience? She said yes, but then she sang. She sang this song. So how do we respond? We respond by walking by faith. How is God going to use you? That's the question. How is God going to use you? Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ask for him to put specific people in your life. And you know who those people are. People you say, man, I can't get away from this person. Well, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe you're the one who God's going to use to preach the gospel. Maybe you're the one who needs to take one of the cards for Christmas Eve and hand it out. Maybe you need to take a bunch and hand it out at work. Who cares if people throw them in the trash? Maybe, just maybe, one person's going to come and hear the gospel message. How is God going to use you? And then act upon it. One of my dangerous prayers when I'm in the shower, I have this sometimes a mindless prayer. God, not what I want, what you want today. Use me however you want. Well, sometimes God answers that prayer. But he answers it in a way I don't want him to answer. And I remember very specifically answering, asking that prayer when I was out in Colorado and I had to go to the parts store for my car. And this guy came up to me. I didn't know him. Started talking to me. Okay, I'm not the real talkative guy. I'm introverted, especially when I've got something to do. So I went to another aisle and he followed me. And he kept talking to me. So I'm doing the, I don't care what you're saying to me. I really want to get away from you. So I go to another aisle. He follows me and continues to talk to me. 
And I'm like, okay, God. And I stopped and I said, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? He just looked at me. And then he walked away. Now, again, I'm not held responsible for whether he was a Christian or not a Christian. I was responsible for acting upon what God has called me to do. And so are you. How do we respond to what the Holy Spirit is pricking our minds and our consciences and our hearts towards? Act upon it. And then why? Because the light of the world has come. The light of the world has come. And he gives to Mary and Joseph these two specific names. The first thing he says is this will be the child that will be Emmanuel. God with us. And I want you to ponder that this Christmas season. God came in human flesh to be with us. And I don't know how you do it. For me, I like the Christmas tree. I like the lights and I like sitting down in a chair and just looking and listening to Christmas music. That's a way that I am in awe and wonder and ponder the greatness of the season. That might put you to sleep, so don't do it. Maybe you need to get out and watch the malls and find compassion. Maybe you need to go to musicals, concerts. Maybe you just need to be quiet. But ponder anew the greatness that God came and dwelt with us in human flesh. And not only that, do we recognize him when he's with us. Do you recognize when he's there? Can you see him afresh and new? The second word that he gives to us is he gives the name specifically Jesus. God saves his people. God comes with us, but he doesn't just come and say, I'm the king, I'm the ruler, bow down, cower before me. He comes and says, I am the king, I am the Lord, and I come and I give my life of perfect obedience and I submit to God, even going to the cross. That's who Jesus is to us. So how do we respond? One of the things... If you're giving great honor in the midst of God's family, expect obstacles. Maybe expect humiliations and hard times because God is going to use those to create you to be able to fly. Second thing, watch the miracles. Every time someone comes to faith, that is a miracle. Ask God to let you be a part of one or two there's a song out that I dislike, a Christian song. It says, um, dream small. <laughs> dream big. If God answers in a small way, that's left up to God. But you know what? Have grandiose ideas. Pray big. I keep praying that O'Galley becomes a city known for Christianity, not for defense contractors or the Space Coast. Pray big. And then listen, God knows. He knows you, and he knows what needs to happen, and he's preparing you, and he is transforming you into the likeness of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And how does it end? Heaven rejoices. So ponder. Live in awe and wonder this Christmas season, just like Mary and Joseph And ask very specifically, God, how are you going to use me? Because I'm available and I'm willing. And now let's go.